Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name's Josh. If I haven't met you yet, I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to see you all. Uh, I wonder if you've ever had a moment where you didn't know where someone was, you didn't know what they were doing, and uh, it was a little bit worrying for you. Uh, I grew up, I used to have two dogs, uh, Max and Rosie. They were extremely cute. Um, actually, I just want to quickly ask tech team, do we have slides for this, or is it still broken? They're doing an amazing job. The computer crashed as they were going, and they're trying to make church happen while fix it. They're doing an amazing job. Thanks, guys. Uh, yeah, so Max and Rosie, my two dogs growing up, I think we've got a photo of them, they're extremely cute. Uh, they're also a little bit crazy. Um, my dad uh, worked at the school that I went to, and uh, one day I went to go to school on the weekend, and I, I went to uh, an agricultural school, so we had a lot of land, we had a lot of animals and stuff. Uh, and we got there and we kind of separated. My dad and the dogs, they went off on my, I went to the Oval, that's the only fun thing to do at school, and yeah, kicked a footy and stuff. And after a little bit, I kind of thought, oh, where are they? What are they doing? I, sh- I should go find them. And I started walking around, and as I got closer, I heard some strange noises. What's going on there? As I got closer again, I saw feathers on the ground. What's going on there? And as I get closer again, I see that the dogs have killed about half the chickens in the school. A massacre. Uh, It was horrifying, right? I didn't know where they were and what was going on, and it was a little bit worrying for me. I wonder if you've ever felt a little bit like that maybe with your boss. You don't even know if they really exist. Uh, They just sit in their office. You don't really know where they are. You don't know what they're doing. Or if they are doing something, does it really have anything to do with me? Sometimes I wonder if we feel a little bit like that with God. Uh, Do you wonder, is he even there? Is he doing anything? If he is doing something, does it even have anything to do with me? The question this passage raises for us this morning is, is God really there and what is he really doing? Is God really there and what is he really doing? And this passage tells us that God is there. It tells us exactly what he's doing and it's something specifically to do with you. So it's great that you're here this morning. Is God really there and what is he doing? I'm going to see three things that God is doing. God empowers regular people. He's reaching out in love, and he's on a mission to make Jesus known to the world. They're the three things. Is God really there, and what is he doing? Let's have a look at the first section. Point one, God empowers regular people. Uh, We start by meeting Stephen. We actually met him last week uh, in the early early verses of chapter 6. He's one of seven guys who were chosen to help distribute food to the widows in the early church. Uh, Stephen's kind of a regular guy. He's not one of the apostles. But in this section, it becomes clear that he's someone empowered by God. He was chosen to serve tables, but verse 8 we now see that he is full of grace and power and is able to do great signs and wonders. Uh, He's a regular guy doing amazing things. And not only that, we're told that he speaks powerfully from God. Uh, Some of the Jewish leaders are arguing against Stephen and what he's been teaching. In verse 10 we read, They could not withstand the wisdom and spirit with which he was speaking. He's speaking powerfully from God. And then verse 15, we get this weird detail that his face was like the face of an angel. And now it's not just trying to say that he's really attractive, like maybe you'd describe Kurt if he went through his Facebook photos. Uh, I've been told by Kurt I can go and find more horrible photos of him for another time. Um, This is actually a sign that God is with him. Uh, You see, often with someone who's encountered God is described a little bit like this. So you get Moses, his face shone after he met with God on Mount Sinai. God is with and has empowered Stephen. 
And then we see from verse 11 that false witnesses are brought against him. Uh, Stephen gets accused actually of the exact same things that Jesus was accused of. He's charged with speaking against the temple and he's charged with speaking against the law, changing the customs of the law. Now these are the two pillars of Judaism. It's a very touchy subject for the people that he's speaking to. And over the next 50 verses, Stephen's speech is his response to these charges. And so how does Stephen respond? What does this guy who's empowered by God say? Well, he testifies to them about their relationship with God, what it's really been like. Stephen starts as the defendant who's on trial kind of against the court. But as he goes on in his speech, realize that he actually becomes the prosecutor who's speaking and bringing charges against the counsel. Uh, He answers the charges against the temple and the law, but he does it in a way that actually points to his bigger point that he wants to make in this long speech. And the big point is this. He tells the personal history of the people before him, and he shows them that God has constantly reached out to them in love, but they have constantly rejected him. Throughout their history, God has reached out to them in love, but they have rejected him. Now, we're going to look at his speech in three parts. He kind of divides it up that way. But each time, it's the same point. But as he goes along, he kind of ratchets up the intensity of the speech. God reaches out in love, but the people reject him. And so the first section of Stephen's speech, he starts by talking about Abraham. This is the Jews' original ancestor. And he makes a bunch of points about God initiating and reaching out in love. Let me list some of them off for you. Verse 2, God's glory appeared to Abraham. Verse 3, he promises Abraham a land to inherit when he's a nomad. Uh, Verse 5, he promises Abraham a family, even though he doesn't have one child yet. Verse 7, he promises that one day he'll rescue Abraham's big family out of slavery so that they can worship God. And verse 8, he makes a covenant with Abraham, promising that these things will happen and they will be his people. It's amazing. Uh, God didn't need to do any of that. He wanted to. God is initiating and reaching out to them in love. How did the people respond? Well, we get the first hint of it in verse 9. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, Joseph was God's chosen man at the time, they sold him into slavery. God has reached out in love, but the people reject him by rejecting his man, Joseph. It's not a great start, but... You know, is that going to keep happening? You know, and, and maybe it's not even that bad, right? Um, who hasn't thought about selling their youngest brother into slavery at some point, am I right? And so Stephen moves on to the next little bit of history, verse 20 to 43, and he talks about Moses. And he starts to ratchet up the intensity a bit here. He says, God has reached out in an even greater way, but you've rejected him even worse. So some times passed and the Israelites, that is Abraham's descendants, they're now slaves in Egypt. In verse 20, God raises up this guy Moses to rescue the people. Uh, But even from the start, Moses kind of stuffs it up a little bit. Verse 24, he kills someone while trying to rescue some of his brothers. And verse 27, we see the people's response to Moses. Who made you a ruler and judge over us? They reject him. It's not going so well. Uh, Verse 30, God ratchets up his initiative and appears in front of Moses in a burning bush. Right in front of him. It's incredible. He goes out and sends Moses to save the people from slavery. gives him this big pep talk. And then verse uh, verse 35, this Moses 
They rejected. So God goes further and he rescues the people out of Egypt by his own mighty works. And he brings them to Mount Sinai and he gives them the law. That is God's word directly to them about how they can live in relationship with God. It's a massive moment. The God of the universe saves them, brings them out of Egypt and is reaching out to them. And is showing them how to be in relationship with him. What happens next do you think? Have a look at verse 39. Our fathers refused to obey him. And Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the law. Uh, this is the law they're accusing Stephen of changing and uh, not honouring. The law which says, don't have any other gods before me and don't make idols. And as Moses is coming down from the mountain with this law, the people are already rejecting him. Uh, Moses comes down with God's law and he says, guys, I've got it. Now God's law, it's amazing. Have a listen. And, and they say, Sorry, Moses, we can't quite hear you over this gold smelting machine I'm making. I'm making this golden calf. You should come worship it instead of God. It's great. They've accused Stephen of changing the law, but this is the law that they have never obeyed themselves. That's the point of the quote from Isaiah that's in verse 42. God sent them into exile because they constantly reject him. Stephen is putting the people on trial. Then Stephen moves on to the last piece of their history and it shows even more their rejection and, and even their misunderstanding of God. Uh, from verse 44, Stephen really lays the smackdown on the Jewish leaders. He accuses them of trying to control God and completely misunderstanding the temple. Uh, see, part of uh, God's initiative with Moses was to tell him to, to build a tent and that tent is going to be the symbol that God will dwell with your people. And that tent will go wherever you go because God will be with you wherever you go. Now, what was the father's response to the tent once they got into the promised land? Well, through David, they asked God to build a permanent temple in the land. God said no, but he said, your son Solomon can build one. Now, I want to ask, was that the right thing for them to do? No. I think it was actually an expression of sin. See, the temple wasn't God's initiative. It was man's. That's a crazy idea for them to wrap their heads around. God never said he wanted a temple to replace the tent. The quote from verse 49, it's from Isaiah, says that God doesn't live in buildings. He's above all things. In fact, the earth is just kind of like a footstool, a place for him to, to rest his feet. A building can't hold God in. In fact, a temple is actually a better structure to represent God's presence because it doesn't stay in one place. It moves around as, as the people go. The temple was at one level a rejection of what God said about himself and, and an attempt to contain him. Now, David's son, the king, would ultimately come to be God's temple. Not his son Solomon, but his son Jesus. And so then we finally come to the climax of Stephen's speech. Uh, he's given the people in front of him a personal history of the story between them and God from God's perspective. And now he stops talking about history and speaks directly to the council. Have a look at verse 51. This is what he says. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which are the problems? God has always pursued you. He's been initiating and reaching out to you in love. But you have constantly rejected him. 
And most significantly, you killed Jesus, the righteous one. What would it be like to hear that? Would your heart just sink? Would you get that feeling in the pit of your stomach where you just feel sick? Or maybe you'd get angry, right? How dare you speak to me like that? Well, the Jewish leaders from 2,000 years ago aren't the only people whose personal story is one of God reaching out in love, but him being rejected. That's actually our story too. Uh, We've all got our own story of personally rejecting God, don't we? Uh, If Stephen was telling me my story from God's perspective, it'd it'd go something like this. Uh, You went to Sunday school when you were a child and you heard about me. You went to scripture in primary school. You went to youth group. You you had grandparents who told you about me, but you never listened. The biggest thing is I sent my son to die for you, and you've ignored him. Lived like he didn't exist. We've all got our own story. What does yours look like? We've all rejected God as he reaches out to us in love. You might feel like God's not really there. Or maybe you think he is there, but you're not really sure what he's doing. God has reached out to you in love. You might not know it, but he has. And the biggest, best, and clearest way he's done that is sending his son into the world to die for you. And God is reaching out to you today. You're hearing his word because he wants you to hear it right now. Don't resist him. This might be your first time here. Or maybe you've been coming to church for ages, but you know you've been keeping God at a distance, resisting him. Uh, You might be doing verse 51 right now, sitting here, resisting the Holy Spirit, not wanting to listen or engage with God. If that's you, it's great that you're here, but you need to realize how big of a problem that is. There are some things that you can reject where the consequences are quite low. I once rejected the invitation to stay an extra night at a friend's place and I missed seeing a camel and helping a camel give birth. Uh, It would have been a pretty cool story to have, right? But the consequences to reject that invitation, they're, they're pretty small. But for other things, the consequences of rejection are far bigger. And the consequences of rejecting God are the biggest consequences that exist. It has eternal consequences. Because when we reject God, we reject everything that God offers and everything that belongs to him. See, only God can offer us eternal life and relationship with him in a place where there's no more suffering or crying or pain. Only God can forgive our sins. Only God can give us life that truly satisfies and has meaning, the life that he made us for. And so when we reject God, we reject his offer of life. We reject eternal right relationship with him. Instead of forgiveness, we face judgment. And instead of life and heaven, we face death and hell. The consequences are massive. They couldn't be higher. If you're rejecting God, you need to know how big of a problem that is. Because you can't resist him forever. One day you'll stand before him in judgment and the criteria won't be, have you done enough good things? Because the answer for all of us is no. The criteria will be, did you accept or reject my son who I gave for you in love? 
If this is you, please stick around and find out more. Come back to church next week. Come, come to our Easter services in a couple of weeks' time. The consequences are too big to not check it out more. If you're someone who already follows Jesus, that is awesome. The first response for you is to marvel and to give thanks because your personal story used to be about rejection and love, but now it's about life and forgiveness. You no longer have uncircumcised hearts like Stephen talked about in verse 51. I know that's a pretty weird thing to say. I know we've got a few doctors in here and you'll probably know better than me. I'm pretty sure that's not an operation you can have. What's he saying there? Circumcision is the sign and covenant of belonging to God completely. But for the Jewish leaders, this covenant, it hasn't affected their hearts towards God. But if you follow Jesus, you can marvel and give thanks because God has actually done something amazing in your heart. It's something that he promised a few thousand years ago. Have a look at these words from Ezekiel chapter 36. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules." The story of Israel rejecting God was was to do with the fact that they didn't have hearts that loved or obeyed God. But God promised one day he will send his spirit and put put him in people and give them a new heart so that we can love and obey God. We actually saw that moment a couple weeks ago as we looked at Acts chapter 2. So that now every person who accepts and trusts in Jesus, you've got a new heart. And you're able to love and accept God. It's incredible. And it's not because we did anything great or we did anything ourselves. It's because God is great and he did everything for us. So if you follow Jesus, just take a moment. Just just sit back and marvel and give thanks to the God of the universe has pursued you and sought you out and given you a new heart and that changes everything for you. Just, just, Just take a second now. It's amazing, isn't it? Thanks, God. But that's not the only response to have if you follow Jesus because reaching out to us individually isn't the only thing that God is doing. Have a look at the last section. Uh, From verse 54 to 60, we see that God is on a mission to see Jesus witnessed to the world. At the end of Stephen's speech, the council are filled with rage and they stone Stephen to death. And at that moment, Stephen sees Jesus and he tells the people that Jesus is the son of man, that is the Lord of the universe, the ruler who was promised back in Daniel chapter 7. Stephen recognises that Jesus is the Lord, the one who is in control, even in this moment, that feels completely out of control. What could Jesus possibly be doing in that moment? How can he be in control in a situation like that? Well, it's this moment that begins the fulfilment of what Jesus said way back in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Have a look at that. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Jesus said... But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus' plan is for the good news to spread from Jerusalem out to the world. And so when we come back to our passage, what do we see happen as a result of this horrible event? Have a look at chapter 8, verse 1, the next verse at the end of our passage. 
And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions. Awful moment to get the good news of Jesus outside of Jerusalem and start spreading it to the world. Isn't that amazing? God is so in control that even in this evil moment, God is using it for his purposes. Stephen was a man who was filled with the Spirit and completely on board with Jesus' mission, no matter the cost to himself. Like Stephen, we are not apostles. We're we're normal people. Like Stephen, we are filled with the Spirit, if you trust Jesus. And we know that God's mission is still going. The question is, are we on board with it? That's a consistent call to us in Acts, isn't it? What would it look like for you to do something this week? that was on board with Jesus' mission. Just actually take a second and think about it. If I was really on board with Jesus' mission this week, I would, maybe it'd be on this day, maybe it'd involve this person. What would it be for you if you tried to make it concrete? This morning we've asked the question, is God really there and what is he doing? And what we've seen is God empowers regular people. God is moving towards us in love and he's sending the good news of Jesus out to the world. Don't resist him. Trust him. And get on board with his mission. Let me pray. Father, thank you. You are so good. You are so kind. You are so big. And yet you are so loving. Father, thank you for reaching out to us. Father, sorry that we have often rejected you in our lives. Thank you so much for sending your son. Help us to accept his death for us so we can have life. Father, you're in control and you're on a mission. Please fill us with your spirit that we might go out this week with the mission you've given us, no matter the cost to ourselves. Father, we pray this because you are great and glorious and powerful and we want the whole world to know it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.